Welcome to the Hot Nuance Book Club, a podcast in which a novelist, a screenwriter, and a podcaster walk into a book, diving into its craft and impact and their mission to bring nuance back. I'm Allie, and I'm a screenwriter, most recently for Rugrats on Paramount Plus, coming out at some point. And I am a first-time reader of The Ruins of Ombre, and I'm also a co-host of the podcast Wheel Takes, which is about the Wheel of Time series and sometimes other things as well, most recently The Hunger Games. I am Aradia. I am one half of the Wheel of Time Spoilers podcast, which is currently re-watching season two of the Wheel of Time on Amazon, as well as a podcast producer for Fox and Raven Media. And I am Bree, um, also known as one half of the best-selling romance sci-fi fantasy author Kate Rocha. And I just celebrated the Horny Dragon, Consort of Fire, coming out last week, I think. Last week, yes. Yeah, I don't last know. Week. It's, been, it's been a wild time. It's very fun. I'm very happy. Thank you to everybody who bought it. And, you know, lots of people have been super supportive. And I'm very glad. So I'm going to now start writing another book because that's how this author thing works. Currently, we are nuancing our way through the Ruins of Ombre. So if you haven't read that yet, go do that and come back when you have. For the rest of you, let's break it down now. It is time to jump into the time machine. I'm going to take you back to 1994. Except for no. I'm going to cheat today and take you back to 1995. (gasps) Because I have just gotten um, hooked on the What Went Wrong podcast about like, and we, we can now talk about Hollywood again since the strikes are over yay and i was listening to the podcast about water world which was having things going wrong in <gasps> 1994 so i feel like it counts oh water world water world. water world so 1994 oh. is the time when they were trying to make the movie water world which had the highest budget to date at 175 million dollars apparently because they insisted that they film it all like legitimately just on water, like real, like outdoors water, which apparently is a terrible idea for every, for every Titanic, you get a water world. You know what I mean? (laughs) I controversially (laughs) love this movie. I do. I love apocalyptic stuff. I mean, I write apocalyptic books. And so I watched every apocalyptic Kevin Costner movie in the nineties and he kept doing them. Which was kind of weird. He did the postman a couple of years later, too. Every now and then there's just something in the Hollywood water where it's like everyone has decided we're going to do a particular kind of movie. And you're just kind of you just kind of go with it. Everybody's doing apocalypse movies in 1995, apparently. The postman was also freaking insane, by the way, just an unhinged movie. Like if you've never rewatched it, it was crazy bonkers. But Waterworld, one of my favorite things about it, um, for anyone who had ever liked Veronica Mars, Mac, the little hacker girl, she's the little girl in, in Waterworld. Aww. And she has a map on her back to dry land. And that's like the whole movie is they're trying to get to dry land because of the map on Mac's back. And anyway, I feel like this movie captures how in the mid nineties, you know, in the late nineties, we were all just like looking forward to the Y2K apocalypse. Um, so I feel like it's a very good oh. thing to consider for today's time travel adventure. That's what was happening culturally 
That was what was in the yeah. water. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh, Y2K uh-huh. was in the water. I don't know why I regularly forget about Y2K as a thing that happened. <laughs> I, I think I was just not old enough to be really aware that that was a problem that people were perceiving. I remember 2012 with the Mayan calendar. That was the were other world ending event that I feel like people did not take as seriously as Y2K. No, Y2K was legit. It just, we fixed it. So go team. <laughs> My relationship to Waterworld is so funny. I was a really little kid the first time I saw it. So my parents must have gotten it on VHS to bring home and watch like as soon as it was available. I was so young. It was one of the first movies I ever watched. Like that was an adult movie, like not a kid's movie. And I remember like being fascinated by the little girl with a map on her back. And then when I came home from daycare, I was like, I want to watch it again. And my parents were like, yeah, we decided that that was too mature for you and you don't get to watch it again. And so it was just like stuck in my head as like these few random disjointed like frames of this movie for years and years and years and years and years. And then I recently like within the last year rewatched it because I wanted to know like, as an adult, I want to watch this movie, and oh my god, I kind of loved it. It's bananas! Kind of it's bananas! It. There's so many, like, weird, kooky things about it, and, like, odd details that made a lot of sense, and, like, just the most wacky choices, and I just loved it. But I can also see why my parents were like, yeah, no, that was a weird call on our part, because we're new parents, and we're not doing that again. <laughs> It was a bananas, bananas movie, but I cannot say that I didn't also unapologetically love it. So I have never seen it. I've only heard about (gasps) it. We're going to have to have a a hot nuance movie night. (laughs) Are we having a hot nuance movie night? I love that. Yes. Oh, my God. Crazy movies from the 90s. So let us know in the comments if you would join us on a live stream of watching Waterworld. (laughs) Yes, seriously, I would do it. So, okay. And also in 1994, Melanie the Grin Reaper Ron strikes again. She has come for our dreams, guys. She's not going to stop killing. She's just not. So let us get into this book. Murder boss, Melanie Ron. Murder boss. Yes. But first, before we jump in, I do want to do a little shout out. Um, We've had a few people join the Discord recently who are from the OG Melanie Ron bulletin board. And I am so glad that you guys have found this podcast. Like, I cannot tell you how tickled I am. I used to lurk on that bulletin board. I read all of your theories. One person in particular has uh, Allie's favorite subject, who is Colin. They had all these theories. There was an entire page of theories that I used to read endlessly, you know, so I'm so glad to have you guys here. I am glad that we are reaching back into the past. The time machine has brought you to us. So welcome and please enjoy Aliana Radia's torment as we get into the real murdering. (laughs) (laughs) So. Part 23, guys. We started with a Glennon chapter. Yeah. So what did y'all think? (laughs) Though this is where she's all into like, I'm going to train up my fetus to have magic and stuff. Glennon's basically like being, she's like, I'm going to be the boss of me. If you give me rules, I'm going to break them all, but I'm going to break the biggest ones I can find because you're not the boss of me. 
She's starring in the lesser known film, How to Train Your Fetus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, it feels like she's kind of decided, well, I mean, maybe a little wine is okay (laughs) as a treat. Yeah. Which is true. Which is true. That apparently, I guess, a little wine while you're pregnant, you know, in moderation, small, small amounts is not a disaster. Oh, science. She She's kind of got the wine in a bag in a box, though, and she's sort of drinking yeah. from the nozzle. Yeah, she's like, she's like, a little wine is fine, and then she's like, m- mainlining Franzia. It's one glass that holds the entire bottle. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a well. Yeah, yeah, she seems to be very, very reactive and doing everything to the max, and, and just... Just for the sake of being ornery. Like, this is a very rebellious version of Glennon. We've seen her be such a rule follower. And now she's like, I'm going to, like, go from lawful good to lawful evil, like, on her own alignment chart. Like, obviously, she's lawful evil by our alignment chart. But, like, she's, like, deliberately deciding to become the worst rule follower. Which I think is interesting because she she does this directly after she figures out that Anias is the one making all the rules. She was following the first Lord, fine, but now that Anias is the rule maker, she's like, well, fuck you. Glennon hates women. Glennon <laughs> hates women. We've heard it here first. She hates them. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I like my mother-in-laws a lot. Like, we're very good friends. So, you know, but I understand how some people do not like their mother-in-law. And that that might be a very real petty thing that they would start to feel if they found out their mother-in-law ran the world, (laughs) you know, and decided the fates of everybody. I feel like there are some people in my life where if I found that out about them, I'd be like, well, then fuck you. I'm going to do what I want because who are you to say what is right and what is wrong? Right. There's this great line. um, Why flout tedious rules and exert her independence if the rule she broke was of no importance and the demonstration of her freedom gained her nothing? If defiance of prohibitions was her goal, she might as well defy the most serious one. So she's like, I'm not going to just break some petty rules. I'm going to do the one thing all of you told me 85 times not to do. And then I'm going to like do something amazing once I'm there. Now, listen. As somebody who sometimes does not like rules, I get this. I do. But your fetus is a hell of a thing to gamble in your defiance, I think. I feel like there's like some stuff that is worth worth it. And sometimes they go, okay, but if you're wrong, you, you're microwaving your baby. I don't know. Yeah, the once in future apricot or whatever we've got now. Apricot, acorn squash at this point. (laughs) The the figgin reborn. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're putting it at risk, and she's like, she's quoting some texts. Texts say that like exposing the fetus to strong magic makes it have an easier time, but basically, you know, she she seems to be just sort of gambling with what this is going to do to the baby. She's just assuming she's main character. She's like, I've got main character plot armor. It's it'll be fine. I, <laughs> like, I mean, is, that's her argument. Is that like saying, you know, if I give my kid deli meat, they'll have a stronger stomach? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's advisable. It feels like it, it's kind of giving me chicken pox party vibes. 
I think you guys were too young for chicken pox parties, or were you? Because you guys are vaccination age. I am. I'm too young. I was I was vaccinated, so I've never had it. Gus had chicken pox, and they still did them. They still did the chicken pox parties for Gus. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I didn't know if Gus went to a chicken pox party, but I know he had chicken pox, and that, like, there were definitely chicken pox parties in, like, his life. Oh, what was I saying? I had chicken pox. I don't know where the fuck I got it from. Oh, yeah, I have a scar on my forehead from it. It's like right in the spot of my third eye. I have this like perfect little third eye scar from chicken pox. It's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, I have a couple. I had it real bad. Really? In like the early 80s, mid 80s. But I didn't get it from a party. I just got it from daycare, I guess, because kids are germ factories. But um, I've never had it. No, I did not get vaccinated. I don't know why the fuck I said that. I got vaccinated by getting it like a real person, like a real man. <laughs> I was like nine or 10 and I got it really badly. I remember I was pretty miserable and my brother was like four and it just didn't phase him at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember it phasing me in the slightest. Like I was cranky. I think the younger you days. are. Though. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I got it nice and young. Yeah. When I was growing up, people getting chicken pox felt like a big deal because you didn't know very many people who actually had it. Huh. You know, in school, yeah. you were like, wow. they have chicken pox. Like, that was a big deal. It was like when somebody would sometimes go up, be out of school because they got measles. It was like weird and rare. Wow. I've never felt so much older than you. But I don't think we're even that far apart in age, right? No, like two years. Yeah. How is that possible? That uh, made such a difference. Everyone I knew, like, just had, had chicken pox at some point, like, early on. And, like, we'd all just gone through that gauntlet. And it's fine. Like... Once that that vaccine, they must have like, you know, it must have gone fast. That's so interesting because to so, me, it's like, wow, it's like saying I got measles. <laughs> That's okay. Hilarious. Discord. Everyone we chime need, we in. Need the chicken po- pox. <laughs> you need like a, a gradient of chicken pox stories. I know I'm like, I'm like 10 years older than y'all, I think. Yeah. Um. So I definitely was in the. And the prime of the, you know, everybody bring your kids over and infect them. I told that to Donna once, who is four years older than me, but she was horrified. She's like, that is a freaking serious illness. Why would you purposefully give it to your kids? And I'm like, don't ask me, Ma. That was a thing that they were just doing. Well, because apparently if you got it as an adult, it would be a big deal. Like, I mean, the yeah, theory. that was yeah. the idea. Yeah, the theory is that. Just get it over. It's to avoid, I think, shingles. Yeah, shingles. Yeah. yeah, shingles is adult chicken pox, as near as I can make myself remember. Right. So if you get it as a kid, you're less likely to develop shingles. Though I think chicken pox is in you forever, right? Once, like mono yeah, I think is so. technically kind of forever, forever. Yeah, a part of you. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Though I'm, I'm, I'm not a medical person. I pro vaccine. Please, yeah. Please vaccinate vaccine. and do not go to parties. Yeah, and and don't take medical advice from podcasts. Do, yeah. Yes, especially not us. (laughs) Not us. (laughs) But nobody else either. No podcasts, really, honestly. But um, yeah, in terms of magic vaccination during pregnancy, like, I don't know, she seems to be playing fast and loose with her confidence. And I suspect it will work out because it will make a better plot if it works out. So like, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, Glennon, I, I admire her confidence in her instincts because I, I am not not confident about anything like she is confident about everything i i find it fascinating because to me i feel like if i were a first time mom with my first pregnancy i would doubt every move i made so 
kudos, I suppose, on the self-confidence <laughs> that you have to be like, you know what? All of the pre-wisdom that has come before me, fuck it. I know better. I just, I just can't imagine having that level of confidence in myself. You know what I think is kind of cool, though? Maybe you would in a world where women weren't just, like, belittled and, like, told that they were wrong for literally every choice they make about parenthood and motherhood. Because we are so hard on moms in this culture, because we are a sexist, misogynist society. So maybe, maybe in a world where women were allowed to actually, like, believe that they know things about their bodies, you would be this confident. <laughs> like, imagine. Louder for the people in the back. <laughs> I met this guy. I went to a cookie party, uh, like, two weekends ago, or last weekend. I, time doesn't exist right now for me. But he had his baby in, like, a, one of those... I don't know what they're called, like a Bjorn, I think, where you're like the yeah. holding them in the front. Where you like wear the baby. Mm-hmm. And we were talking, uh, he and I and his wife were all talking and she mentioned how much he gets praised whenever he wears the baby and how like women will come up to him and basically assume that he's no. a single father and all of this stuff. And, uh, and basically, you know, throw themselves at him and or, you know, older women will overly praise him. Whereas when she's wearing the baby, no one says anything, right? And even like looks at her askance and he starts screaming, all of this stuff. So it was funny because I looked at him and I went, well, if it makes you feel any better, I didn't think you were extraordinary as a father at all. In fact, you gave me entirely ordinary dad vibes. Average at best. (laughs) A plus. So he had a good laugh over that. But that was fun. Uh, yeah, I don't know. People, people are so nice to dads and so mean to moms. And they're so nice to men who are neurodivergent and so mean to women who are neurodivergent. <laughs> like I posted a video a while back that I deleted because it mentioned that I was a neurodivergent woman. And all of these people were like, are you really though? And I was not sure what that was about. Like none of them believed me. And I was like, I've been diagnosed since I was five. So, you know you have a bad when you're a woman and you get diagnosed at five. The internet is... Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, she's fucked up. <laughs> I mean, in the 90s, right? as a girl. In the like, 90s, yeah. as a girl? Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I am the neurodivergent. <laughs> <laughs> All my friends getting diagnosed in adulthood, and I'm like, welcome. <laughs> I've been here by myself. You know, like everyone talks about how hard it is to get diagnosed and everything. And I go, I feel like I've been an army of one. I've been the only ADHD woman I knew until my 20s. And then all of a sudden, everyone's coming out of the woodwork. And I'm like, welcome. I've been so lonely. Thank you so much for being here. We have joined you. I was 24, 25. I mean, I was diagnosed with everything before they got to ADHD. Bipolar. They were like, this, I don't know. She's she's real energetic and sad at the same time. Maybe that's it. I'm like, No. <laughs> I have ADHD. That is the only neurodivergence doctors like to slap on women and not men is bipolar. They just bipolar. Yeah. Right, right away. Yeah. So, I mean, which is like nothing is wrong with being bipolar, obviously. It's just, no. You should not take the medication for it if you're not bipolar. I'm just going to say that. It didn't go great. Right. So Right. 
It's a rough way to figure out that a diagnosis is wrong, is to take medication and have it not work. But it happens yeah. to a lot of people. The brain's weird. Didn't, didn't go great. It's it's great when you finally get the diagnosis. Um, the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend song diagnosis is like very emotional for me because I'm like, yes, I understand. When they, they finally tell you your thing and they give you your people you belong to and you're like, yes. Yes, I'm finally here. <laughs> Where have you been? And that's the thing for me is I was like, I was, I, I was diagnosed and given no people. I was given, I was basically a guinea pig where they were like, oh, it's a girl this time. What do we do with it? You know, and so then it's really, it's been really great as more people have gotten diagnosed and more women have gotten diagnosed to just kind of be like, there they are. I found them finally at last. Where were you in my teens? I needed you. <laughs> Well, right. And now there's a critical mass that allows for like an extremely real self-diagnosis trend that is like super valid and super potent. And really, I don't think can happen without that community, like critical mass, like being there, creating all of this, like outside of the DSM interpretations of what the DSM is saying and like putting together dots and conclusions that do not serve like the medical industrial complex being run by a bunch of fucking money grabbing men. Like, that community is so critical. It's so critical because I have not got diagnosed with anything because I was raised by a bunch of hippies who were like, eh, we're all just a little weird. It's fine. And now it's like there's nothing that I would get out of getting diagnosed. But there's a whole lot that comes out of self-diagnosis. And yeah, I, I that would not be happening in a vacuum. It takes the community. Okay, let's get back into here's the thing. Glennon's making all these risky moves because she wants to kill the capital. She thinks if she manages to do this thing that Anais wants to do, that instead of like getting rid of her, the Malarisi will be like, well, you know, who cares about this old lady? Let's I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think think that's going to happen. No, I think, well, here's the thing. I think Anais seems to have dug herself in real nicely. She does seem to have solid control over everything i mean based on the information that we find out later and the fact that she was making some project with all of the crests of the family or whatever and didn't include glennon's fathers was interesting to me and then also the way that they and we're going to obviously talk about this later but the way that they spoke about glennon uh the two men who were there they were like lady glennon and he goes don't call her a lady Mm-hmm. Don't give her the honor of that title. Yes, that was the fifth lord. He clearly um, not a fan. That that feels suspicious. It, you know, I I feel like. Well, remember, she hasn't had the baby yet, and you're not supposed to be lady until you have a baby. Yeah, but he didn't say don't call her that because she hasn't had a baby. He said don't honor her with that title. And I went, okay, mm-hmm. so you don't like her, and also. Anais is being real shady about the family she comes from. And also, in addition to that, Avri and Glennon have figured out that Anais is going to start taking out the people who helped her soon because now they're a loose end. She has to tie up. So, yeah, that is our final chapter. It, it is all not looking great. Um, that's not looking great, too, for Glennon when she has the baby. Exactly. Um, which is, she, she does go to Ombre and is there, uh, 
Actually, let's talk about the cushion, because I'm not sure the cushion is something she gets up to, like, a balcony where they all used to sit. And the cushion isn't something that has to do with Anais. Oh. It has to do with her grandmother, who has a similar name, remember? Uh, Mima Ombre. Those two names are, are very similar. She was messing with you. Oh, okay. But I actually, I highlighted this because I kind of did love this little bit where they, you know, this is another little thing with the men doing all of the intricate embroidery. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just missed that it was the grandmother and not Anias. I thought it was Anias. Yeah. It, it has Aliness, um, which is Anias and Aliness. I mean, she just, she's set up to Melanie. Melanie. <laughs> Make the names different. <laughs> But yes, that's Glennon's grandmother, and Glennon's grandmother was very scornful of the idea that they would include Avri Farron's, like, history in this wonderful, beautiful cushion, because, you know, just one more way that the lofty hombres spit on him. Well, and he's a man. I mean, why would you include male stuff well there are male things in here oh yeah that's true because like the austin oak tree was like for her grandfather and like so it does have her dad's leaf crown but like it doesn't have his parents like it has her mother's like parents and grandparents because they're sort of just pretend that he has no family and no and i also remember he doesn't know who his father is which i think is something that they judge him for he's like literally just this like unknown nobody who has come out of nowhere to marry into their we can name everybody who was part of our family for the last 35 generations or whatever yeah yeah this whole balcony scene was really cool because there's obviously a lot of symbolism with like what's in the flashback with the cushions and all that but there's also the like parallels of multiple parties of the sisters are going up to this balcony and like that just felt like really symbolic to me it's like a balcony they're looking out they've got this like overview they're trying to like repossess the city and like they're just we're at this high point in the plot and it just felt very like the fact that we're on this balcony it it just felt very visually and allegorically appropriate that both sisters who are vying for this control this final thing are like in the same spot thinking about the same things looking out on the same view just you know 12 hours apart yeah. Um, and I do love, I love how much in this section here, we really get visions of like how Ombre worked. And definitely more of that um, in the next section, part 24, when Sarah and Kylat are walking through the abandoned city, we get so much world building and like flashes into like what this, and this was like, this was, we've seen so much of this world as being, you know, kind of renaissance-y, medieval-y, but, like, there was some serious business, civilized, high civilization going on here in Ombre. And it's definitely... Aubrey Farron destroyed all of that. He burned their, like, you know... He burned their ancient Rome to the ground or whatever, you know? Yeah, it felt very, like, New York or something. Like, yeah. walking down Wall Street. Like, here's the houses of commerce or something. Yeah. And then and then yeah, he he didn't just burn down a couple of buildings, he like leveled the island. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he went salted earth on this place. And that blows. Yeah. 
So Glennon's like imagining when she rebuilds all of this, she thinks she's going to come back and claim it. And she's going to build a beautiful Mallory's castle that her son can learn magic in and everything. Okay, but that is the biggest F you to all the people who died there possible. Am I right? 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 Seriously. Just an absolute like, okay, colonizer. middle finger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Her. But it's her own Can city. Can you it's colonize awful. your own city? <laughs> yeah, it's so like, confusing. If, have you ever colonized if, your own city? Like, only white people <laughs> could accomplish that. <laughs> She's literally colonizing her own inheritance somehow. Oh my god, this is such it, a it white is. people of her. <laughs> it is. So white people of her. This is very white-coated. <laughs> so, so while she's standing up here planning how she's going to just stick it to grandma, the mages and Kylette appear. And they just like sort of pull up to the dock like, woo, we're here. Hope nothing bad happens. <laughs> Oh I just, my God. here's the thing. I, I get why the plan is the plan. I do. But it feels like going to Ombre is the most expected move possible. And I get that they're like, well, it's so expected. She'll never know. And I go, well, there's also just so obvious it's dumb. Like we might be metagaming too hard here. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So Glennon, this is where the magic, uh, lentil cooking thing becomes an issue because she she's used some basic magic up until now but she tries to send out a probe to figure out who this blonde girl with the capital summons coming from her is and apparently this music or this music this magic is so strong and so intense that her baby does a little macarena or something <laughs> <A> somersault of <laughs> dress yeah hey what you doing <laughs> yeah baby's not on board we are we no. have a sad lentil apricot acorn squash and then she's like oh my god are you okay and i go we were not very concerned before we started about what could right? possibly happen and now we're gonna give a shit like glennon this is what we call a natural consequence like you know i mean at a certain at a certain point i go and now you're worried yeah yeah, I was very rolling my eyes at her. Like, one little thing goes wrong, and suddenly she doubts everything about her, her confidence before. And I'm just like... I mean, granted, <sighs> that would be me as well. One little thing would go wrong, and I would be shaken to my core. But I probably You also, wouldn't have been confident first. I wouldn't have been... I've never <laughs> so. confident. Like, I've never been confident in my life. Like, I don't understand what that word means. And so, and so I go... um, well, yeah, of course something went wrong. You had no questions about this beforehand. And now something goes wrong and you're like, oh, no, who did this? Who could have done this? to?" Like, she's gaslighting the fetus. She's like, oh, no, who could have done this right? to you? Are you OK? Yeah. And I go, you just sent radiation through your womb. But whatever. <laughs> it's fine. And then she does the only logical thing, which is to go home and get bound. That's the one yes. thing Garen's still good for is giving her a comfort bone. Well, this is this is funny because first she like sits on the stairs for an hour and she like decides whatever plots and ploys she'd been dreaming. Let's just throw them all away. We don't have to care about the future. And then she gets home and she's like, wait, but if I don't care about the future, Anais is going to like get rid of me and take my kid. OK, I have to care about the future. 
And that's when she's like so stressed out. She doesn't know what to do. So she goes and bones her husband. <laughs> I just, again, can't relate to Glennon in this moment, not being worried about the future and suddenly it occurring to her that she should be. I was watching this interview with Margot Robbie the other day where she was talking about Barbie and the process of trying to find the character of Barbie and how stressful it was. Cause she's like, none of my usual methods were working. Cause like, I didn't want to play her like a ditz. And she talks about how Greta Gerwig found her this podcast interview of this woman who has no like internal narrator, like no kind of like no introspection in no introspection. Yeah. She has no introspection. She has something where she has no introspection And so she has no kind of like fears about the future. She just is very present all the time. And it occurred to her, I think, like recently that her parents were going to die. Like she had not thought about it her whole life and then suddenly started falling one day. And her boyfriend or husband or partner was like, why are you crying? And she goes, my parents are going to die someday. And he goes, have you never thought about that before? So, I don't know, Glennon kind of feels that way to me, where it's like she, for the first time, she goes, I need to worry about the future. Yeah, I mean, she does sort of have a, see, and it's not a lack of introspection, because we have seen she is so introspecty, but she also has, like, what I think is a numbing level of privilege. Yeah. The, yeah, that, I think it is privilege, but I also think it's because of that privilege, a such absolute certainty that things are going to work out for her. And I think that is the like double-edged sword of privilege is that when something does happen to you, you are broken to your core. Ill-equipped. Nothing has ever happened to you. Yeah, you're ill-equipped to handle. Unprepared. You are completely unprepared to handle something actually big happening. Main character energy. Like you said, she has lived as the main character. She may have to consider that the capital is the main character. That's not good. At least to the Malarisi, which is why I go, she goes, oh, well, if I kill the capital, then I will be the person that everyone looks at and looks to. And I go, I just don't agree with that premise. I just think that at this point, yes, that would be a really big move. But what kind of for- further emphasize your threat level to Anias? And she has done enough to secure her power at this point far before you were born. She thinks like one action is going to undo a lifetime of work to get here. And that could happen, theoretically. But I think that that is a very youthful attitude. Yeah. I think that she's comparing her killing the capital to Anaya's killing the capital. And Anaya's killing the capital, the message is, oh, no, y'all, I'm still that bitch. Because she's right. she's made her moves. Uh, yeah. Lots of Like, Anaya's also went out and killed pre- almost a thousand mages. Right? She had a quota. Yeah. And, like, you know, she is... She has done her other... Like, she has lots of big achievements. And so so for her, it's just the, you know... Yeah, I'm still, I'm still that bitch. So don't, don't fuck with me. <laughs> I'm still punching my murder cards. <laughs> Lennon, maybe, maybe. And, and I think it's like you said, from our later scene, we know that she has not necessarily done the work to cultivate uh, respect and loyalty amongst the power structure there. 
Yeah, at least not with the Fifth Lord. And I think part of it definitely has to do with the fact that, like, as much as they pretend to accept Avri and his heritage, they definitely don't. No, Absolutely nobody trusts not. him. They definitely don't. And I think that's that's the story behind the lady thing is he goes, don't call her that because, like, her house is lesser. I mean, they also, like, even in that scene, I'm pretty sure they talk shit about why he didn't hear feel the summons and if he's actually that powerful or that loyal, you know. Yeah. They're constantly questioning both his power and his loyalty. Also like, Nobody trusts him on either side. For all the Malarisi say that they want to dismantle all the tears and everything, the fact that he's like, don't call her a lady feels like maybe that's not actually the goal and the goal is fascism. And reinventing the patriarchy? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they they want a hierarchy, and they may say it's based on magic, but uh, she's got some badass magic, and that's not earning her the respect. So I guess the question is, what does? I think she's got to jump ship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think she's 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 in trouble. Something's got to change. She's got it. She's got to dip. We end this section, um, and I'm just going to apologize to everybody if my voice gets a little huskier as we go. I think I told most of you on Discord I was pretty sick. That is why we've had a little bit of a delay. I feel fine if I sound a little rough. I apologize. It's just... I, I drank hot jello last night, okay? I've been trying. <laughs> I don't know if the voice actors of Blue Sky were trolling me with this tip or not, but they got me to drink hot jello and it wasn't bad. So we appreciate your sacrifice. <laughs> oh, I'm here for it. We end this section with um, Glennon asking her dad about the dream he had at Ombre and what that girl looked like because he thinks that he is, she has figured out that this girl that her dad was dreaming about is the capital. So she has knowledge, at least. She may not have much else, but she has knowledge that other people need. So that's some sort of power. And we slide into part 24. And we get some scary numbers on mages Ugh. here. What in the ethnic? Tell cleansing. us about that, Aradia. It's it's bad. The they they went from having one thousand one hundred and nine mages to having one hundred and forty four, and that was like in basically the course of this active part of this book. Like that is an insane amount of being hunted down and killed out, and like given that magic is apparently genetically passed around, like. This has very. This is this is a uh, a choke point in the evolutionary progress of having magic on this entire planet. Like this is a huge freaking deal to go down to ten percent of your former numbers. Well, ten percent. But how many were there in the year Kylat was born? Ten thousand. There have been over ten thousand. Jesus. So we're down to one percent of what it was in the course of Kylat's. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm just really proud that I remembered that, that it was over 10,000. I was like, good job. Memory, it's happening. Um, yeah, uh, this is bad. The lack of magic people being born is also going to affect the Malarisi. So I'm not sure why they're so excited about this. I think that they literally think that they'd rather have few mages that are loyal to them than any mages that aren't. 
You know, I mean, that may be their whole thing. We're putting the mages on the endangered species list. Because normal people can't oppose them. Only mages can in their minds. Yeah, and I feel like if they ever want more, they'll have enough of a fascistic control over the entirety of society that they can just implement a breeding program and get magic weapons as they want if that becomes necessary in the future. I'm sure that that's their ultimate contingency is, well, we'll just breed more if we need them. Because that seems like how they roll. Do <laughs> you think we're going to go full breeding program in this book? I mean, maybe like in a generation or two. I don't think that would be like right off the bat. But like, I could see the Malarisi going like, oh, the Wraith and Beast. Hmm. You think we're going to get anyone expressing it? I mean, are we already kind of doing a breeding program? Kind of. I mean, I guess they... They won't let her have the title until she pops some yeah, kids out she, with exactly who they tell her yeah, to. Yeah, exactly who they tell her to and exactly what gender they want. Like, they're already doing it. The, the yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I would not be surprised if we see some, uh, some people being like, here's the long-term plan is breeding programs. Like, I, I would not be shocked if that came up. Uh. I just, again, when people can't recognize that they're the bad guy, I'm like, breeding program usually indicates yes. Just going to put that out there. Selectively breeding is a yes. It's bad. It's bad what we've done to dogs. It's bad when we do it to people. Yeah. I mean, I am a fan of agriculture. So it's not like it's always wrong, but well, yeah. like there need to be some fucking guardrails. Well, I'm like, there's a difference between a peapod and a woman. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, very much so. Small difference. I generally speaking can pick one out from the other. I am not usually confused. I don't think Mendo, when he was observing the peas or whatever, was like, ah, how could we? Well, maybe he was. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be so confident about this. But I mean, he was a man and a monk. So. Because we did go from zero to eugenics really quickly <laughs> as a society. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that slippery slope. It's such a cliff. <laughs> Falling off it. Okay, so the mages have been on the move. They have, since Kylet cast that summons, apparently everybody felt it. Everybody. Um, so what do you guys think about this basic thing with everybody arriving? We get some interesting introductions and also meditations on obedience and how horrifying it can be. Yeah, I mean, I think we've gotten... This continued emphasis on obedience just alarms me from the Mallory's side. Yeah, but this is the this is the mages. And apparently, the one thing they do is like obey a summons. So, like, remember? Well, I guess everyone does need to meet the Pope. Yeah, that is that is that's kind of what happened. And get there was, on the same page about who the Pope is. There was a Pope alert. Popery, a popery, <laughs> if you will. And so the start of this section is just people arriving, uh, mages arriving all, from all over the country, staring at Kylette and going, this is the Pope? Uh, WTF, mate. But then also, like, there's a level of obedience that's, there's the WTF and the obedience, which makes the obedience even creepier. Because it'd be one thing if it was like... I don't know. It'd be one thing if they weren't questioning her at all, but the fact that they're going to obey her while questioning her just makes it feel extra, like, 
compulsion-y and like yeah the meditations on what is obedience have like some very sinister overtones with this which sucks because kyla is obviously a sweet angel baby who doesn't want to hurt anything and is rapidly turning into a fascist for convenience's sake and it's very concerning yeah um there's a line here that's when a contemporary of gavin beck his cousin lilias also a retired warder was assisted into the capital's presence by two prentices even younger than Kylette, she decided that obey was a truly terrible world. Because these 70-year-olds felt compelled to, like, travel across the country while being hunted to their deaths to come and find her, even if, like, they literally couldn't walk, because that was, like... that That's a thing. That's a... It's not great. And then, like, the, but the scariest thing is that the, the next line is, but she had to admit it had its uses. That's the part that's scary. Yeah. Because she thinks that because, as we found out last episode, Emmy felt compelled to leave and follow the summons. And while she was riding for Ombre, she found Sarah. So it worked out well for Sarah, who had been wandering toward the quicksand, as we recall. The obligatory 1990s quicksand. And so... They made me think that was going to be such a problem. Well, we all know how to get out of it, at least. So we got that going for us. I I do. I know how to survive quicksand. I know how to... I read some book as a kid that was like the... Uh, what to do if... I don't remember what they're called, but it was like, what to do if you're in an earthquake? What to do if you're dealing with a shark attack? And I'm like, tell me why I know what to do in these... In these occurrences that I will never be a part of. <laughs> hey, Hopefully. Early anxiety. Early anxiety. Training. Yeah, be prepared for everything. And we do mean everything. Yeah, if you stay everything. prepared, you don't have to get prepared. Exactly. Well, I was watching this. I was watching this TikTok the other day where someone was like, here's how you deal with a plane crash, right? Not to trigger anybody. Oh, God, I saw that too. Because she was like, it's, they're actually pretty shockingly survivable. If you do certain steps. Yes. And the first thing was, she talks about, you're, you're going to feel this denial period at first where you're like, that can't, this can't be happening to me. Like everything has worked out so far. Like uh, this has got to be an overreaction. La, da, 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 da. And I immediately went, that would not happen to me. That would, <laughs> that would not happen to me. I would be like, of course. <laughs> yes, I was about to say this is me. Of course, I'm of course, going. of course, I picked the plane that's going down, but it's going to go down in a weird, funny way that makes it. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be because a goose flew into the windshield or whatever, and it's just going to be like, oh, well, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, that's why it would happen. Is this a writer thing that we imagine that our lives are being narrated by a particularly sadistic person who just like wants everything to be hilarious and tragic at the same time? I call myself God Stooge. But I my, <laughs> I had this thing for a while where one of my get to know you questions was like, what genre is your life? Because I felt like it told me a lot about people. I love that. Yeah, like I had a friend that was like intense workplace uh, drama. You know, was his, uh, you know, he was like Aaron Sorkin-y workplace drama. <laughs> oh, God. And I was like, that tracks for who you are. Um, and I was like, for me, farce. Constant farce. Yes. Yeah. Tragic farce. Tragic, tragic, tragic farce. comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like 
I am constantly, I refer to myself as God's stooge. Like he's bored up there and needs some entertainment. So let's yes. check in with Allie. Like, this is the whole thing, like, and I, you guys, like, the podcast didn't hear about it because we were podcasting, but, like, I went through a lot in November. Like, my bed broke, and I tried to order a new one, and then I got sick so that I really needed a bed, but I couldn't sleep because my bed got lost. FedEx lost my bed in Indiana. <laughs> Just, like, lost it. Just, like, a freaking like, 170-pound adjustable bed. Just lost in Indiana. I was, like, this is the weirdest thing, and I can't even be, like, upset because it's so bizarre. But, of course, you know, it happens, so. It happens. Of course. Yeah, and I feel like some people go, of course, in, like, a negative way where they're like, I have bad luck, everything goes poorly for me, and I go, okay, well, some good things happen to you, I, I promise. But, yeah, for me, it's more, it's less of, like, ah, of course, it's more of a just, like, yep. It's a resigned, <laughs> oh, you got me this time. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> because it's always just weird enough to be kind of funny. Oh, the last thing we taught my dog, we were teaching my dog before he passed away, was play dead. Oh, Allie. That is the most tragic example, but also like. And so now whenever we pass Schooner's ashes, we praise him for doing a really good job at it. Oh. It's shit like that oh. where I'm just like. Yes, yeah. it, it, that was the perfect example. Ugh. It's like he really said, I want to cry. He really said this is the funniest but, time to go out. He really did. Yeah. Oh my god. He really did oh. that for us for the comedy yeah. for the memes forever for the long what a king what an improv partner <laughs> he yes ended so hard. <laughs> what a good what a boy. Good boy. <laughs> also memorialized in my book that just came I out. I know he is. There is a wolf named after him because we love. No, we love a, a hero king puppy dog. You know what's amazing is um, the writer Christy Caldwell is also putting him in her book that's coming Aww. out too. So like he's immortalized in so many texts. What dog yes. could ever? Only the best. The best. He was so iconic. Puppy. What an icon. He's in multiple books. I love it. What a good Anyway, dog. but yeah, I I mean it's things like that. I mean that's like that's that's the genre my life takes. It's just like this constant regardless of how bad it is, it's like there's this stream of irony that just underlies everything. Yes. Where you're like, okay, but also this is kind of funny even though it's sick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dramatic irony. Whereas Sarah is in Kylet's opinion the genre rom-com as the section closes out cuz she's like in order for what is it like Sarah, Sarah in order for Sarah's mood to improve these two impossible things have to happen which is that Sarah has to admit she's in love and Colin has to agree to get married and it's just like so Kylet's just like and you two you two are the rom-com kiss go be the rom-com I'll, I'll I'll read this quote because I I do love it Whatever else happened, whatever else she must do, it simply had to end with two broken vows. Sarah's never to marry one of those loud, pesky, impossible creatures called a man. And Colin's never to become that gelded, contemptible beast, a husband. <laughs> so this good. is very Shakespeare of them. Yes. This is very Taming of the Shrew. It's very much ado. Much ado about, about nothing. I was literally, I was mm -hmm. like, this is so 
Beatrice and Benedict of you. Please, we all know how this ends. Yep, absolutely. So what we do next is, before we get to the end of this, uh, Kyla and Sarah decide that their new genre is going to be, it's 80% of the book. What could go wrong if we split the party and go on (sighs) on our own? Split the party. Never. You find yourself in a book. The thing that you, and you're suddenly aware that you're in a book. Never split the party. Ever. That's not at 80%, okay? At 80%, you stick right by everybody else. Just yeah, 20%, you can split the party and go get a magic artifact or level up on your own. At yeah. 80%, it's time to get together for the boss battle. Rejoin the party. Yeah. Yeah. Stay together. Only bad things happen when you split up. Um, so they go, and this is where we get what we talked about before, all of this um, discussion of, like, the ombre that was... You know, they're walking down the bureaucracy. And I I sort of love this image. They lived on the fourth and fifth floors, had private offices on the third, did public business on the second, and spent hot afternoons in cool marble reception chambers on the first. So, like, all of these buildings that just house this massive bureaucracy, finance, forests, fisheries, agriculture, trade, harbors, you know, the guilds, the webs, just... Yeah, I love I love imagining the city, honestly. It must have been just like so so beautiful. And now it's all like a burnt out apocalyptic ruin, but you can see the beauty under the soot. That's how you know it's really beautiful. Right, 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 right. But yeah, uh it's just like I don't know. It just makes me sad when pretty buildings get burned down. I know that that's silly yeah. cuz like the people obviously matter more. But, you know, I don't know. Just the buildings last longer. I that's the thing. It's the endurance of the like especially when the the place is very old. Like I was thinking about this the other day because of something sad that I don't necessarily want to bring up, but like just just how tragic it can be when something so old and so beautiful is gone. I just uh, like yeah, because it with there's something about the fact that it withstands like so much of human history only for us to go okay, but now you're done. No longer shall the future generations get to enjoy this because mankind needed to go kaboom. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just like uh, it's sad in a different way. Like I think that multiple things can be sad at one time. I get annoyed when people are like, okay, but what about the people? And I go, okay, yeah. Obviously, we're also sad about the people, but we can't be sad about two things at once. Carol. Hot nuance. Carol. <laughs> we're most sad about the people, but we're also sad. We're more obviously more sad about the people. <laughs> about but the Carol. buildings. And I do think it's, it's the loss of culture and art and gathering places yes. and, you yeah. know, your history. It's It erases so yes, much. It's what the building represents, which is history, yeah. art, culture. All of that is being dismantled in addition to the loss of human life. It's like a insult on top of injury. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like we live in a world with a lot of ruins in it. So seeing something go from functional into ruins is like... That's an intense moment in a building's like trajectory because we have oh. a lot of buildings and we have a lot of ruins. I didn't so, even like, think about it that way. I mean, Ugh. you look at some stuff and you're like, we don't know who built that or how they felt or what they did or why they did it. And then you see modern stuff like trans. Like I'm thinking specifically of like old castles that are abandoned and then like Notre Dame 
having its roof burn off. Like, it was this moment of, like, I've been in that building and I've seen ruins, like, in England. Like, these, these things both exist and just, like, this is how it happens. This is the beginning of becoming a ruin. Like, yeah. Ah! yeah. I mean, I think that's what it is. Is It's like, yeah, you're watching. It, it, it's that weird introspection of like, we are watching history happen right now. Oof. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah. And when you take its people away, you take its context away. You take away everyone who could tell you who built it and why and how. And, you know, the people who knew anything about Ombre. I mean, they're they're diminishing. They're disappearing. So Ugh. it is. It is really sad. What? There's only three of them, right? Yeah, because like at this point, they're they're a generation removed, right? Like there's Kylette who like represents the future, and she literally only has stories to go on. She doesn't even. This is 17 years ago, so it is literally, you know. She doesn't remember it, but she's also the person in charge of rebuilding it in so many ways. So, like, yeah, some losses you can't ever put back. There's, like, some repair that's just impossible. And that's a lot to introspect on. Well, and that leads Kylette directly into how could we have stopped this? And this is where she says, it's our greatest weakness, you know. We don't easily give up control of our magic to someone else. We're independent. And she's thinking about this as a we don't work together. Um, but Sarah immediately is like, you mean you're not Mallorisi? I'd call that a strength. Because it, it is definitely, that's the thing. And, and Sarah points out, it's easy to say that Ky for Kylette to say, sometimes when things are really important, we should all have to subsume ourselves to the greater whole when Kylette is always going to be the one who decides what's important and what the greater whole should be doing. You know, it's, it, it's easy to demand everybody else's help with something when you're never going to be have that demand put upon you, I think. So where do, where do you guys find the line between what the Mallorisi are doing and what is just like good old fashioned community organizing? Because the mages could, you know, there is being too independent too. I <laughs> like mean, where, come on. Where do we draw the line at HOA and fascism? Do you know what I mean? Like, what, uh -huh. well, no, like community organizing and HOA, like that right there. Because I'm sorry, HOA is a lot closer to fascism than we want to get. I don't know if you guys like have watched like last week tonight's breakdown on the oh, HOAs. Yeah. They're not great. HOAs oh, are yeah. so fucked, man. They're it's so like bad. it's so much. It's just so HOAs are a problem. HOAs are proof that sometimes when you give someone a modicum of power, they they just could get so corrupted. Oh, I don't think our neighborhood has one. I haven't had the pleasure or displeasure of encountering them, but oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, but like, and then the other side of that that I, I like to go back to is fucking Captain Janeway. There's a very distinct point when she's like, this is not a democracy. I'm in charge. I make the calls and I'm going to do my best, but I cannot take everyone's opinion into account. That will get us all killed. I have to be in control of your lives. And, you know, obviously she's great and perfect and does absolutely nothing wrong ever. So it's like clearly possible to not end up as like the villain of the story 
while also having a level of control over people that like won't ever be reversed right she's the captain she's never gonna be you know down in the lower decks or whatever in, in terms of the rank obviously she crawls around the entire ship because that's what she does but like yeah i definitely was also thinking about descriptions i've read or heard on podcasts about anarchy and like what anarchy actually is as like a political concept and it's not chaos and a lack of rules it's the most horizontal distribution of authority the situation can possibly call for which means sometimes there will be people in charge because you're like doing electrical work and you need an electrician to make sure you don't die and like yeah like respecting respecting people's wisdom and knowledge is not the same thing as blindly following their authority and like i feel I feel like Sarah is more in the wrong here because she's making it into a binary system of we have to be entirely independent or we are all mindless fascists. And Kylette is not correct in her ultimate synthesis, but she's closer to correct in saying that, like, there is hot nuance and there is gray zones and there are ways for people to consensually become part of a greater whole. Well, it's that it's that constant push and pull question of, like, what is more important individuality or the collective right right and like the answer is both and every situation (laughs) is going to call for a different balance of the two that's that's the hot nuance of it all right it's like okay there is such thing as prioritizing the individual of the collective too much right where we're like okay these rules exist Except, you know, then this stuff happens. And no, no, you guys, let's just solve this right now. I think the podcast can do it. Let's just solve the tension. We're going to solve it right now. Okay, this is how the world should be run. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, that, that is that constant push and pull, right? Like, what is more important? Because if you go into the collective too much as being the most important thing, then you, you know, miss honoring the fact that humans aren't a monolith and that sometimes in order to serve the whole the best we do have to individualize things part 25 and this is where we this is where we find out what the pain stake is hello pain stake how do we feel about colin who is going through some shit i do not like torture scenes, be they written or uh, in TV movies. I do not like them, generally. I really liked this one. Is there no hot nuance for torture? <laughs> it's it's just very visceral, and I just it's it's just a lot. But I really like Colin's POV. For the and, record, no, there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I have re- really enjoyed being in Colin's POV, and this is a very inventive and not body fluid intensive way of causing pain so i was able to just see the headspace thing and i thought it was really fascinating how he takes agency of his mind and like breaks along fault lines of his choice and he he's taking control in a way that no one apparently has ever been able to do and i'm like that's right that is our diamond balls rosvenir like Colin is like, I don't know why Colin is in this book, but I'm fucking glad because he is owning this scene in which he is like, he has 
no agency over his body. He has no agency over anything. And yet he is the one who is not in control, but he's pissing off his his captors, right? He's the one who won't break. They are the ones trying to break him and he fucking won't. And I found that just really a thrilling read. Well, I feel like it's one of those things where, you know, I would call in as one of those, is that classic rogue, lovable rogue archetype. But we occasionally need to demonstrate that the lovable rogue is still a badass, which is why we should still like him. Yeah. And this is the like, he's a lovable rogue. And sometimes he can also be a dickhead, but he is a likable dickhead. Yeah, but he's our dickhead. He's, he's on our, our team. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He seems to be having problems with his memories. I think it's interesting what he remembers, though. I do love this part. He remembers the wind and, like, the woman singing to him by the fire. Um, And he remembers Fallen Deer in the cottage, also, like, being taught by the fire. And he remembers Sarah sitting by the fire in the meet-cute cabin, you know, reading her book. And so, like, one of the things that he is, like, sort of doing is like almost half drunkenly composing like some sort of song that like you know ties these themes together uh you know so basically a mother's love and a mentor's gift and whatever he's decided sarah is going to be to him his situationship (laughs) yes but then he says that strange song was pleasure though and to stay silent and sane he required pain which is just a lot. Ouch. Oh. Yeah. So he has the comfort of this pleasure, but this imaginary pain is all mental. It doesn't seem to be doing anything to his hands, but terrorizing him because, like, what if his hands don't work after this? Oh, my God. That. As somebody that has a you know, condition that causes them to experience pain, but it's just mental. Mental pain sucks just as much. Like, actually, in some ways, it sucks more because you're like, there is no cause to this. It's just my brain has decided to make me feel pain at this particular moment in time, and no one can explain why. There's no, like, let's put a cast on it and wait a few months. It's like, okay, we'll just... Hope that it, like, hope that it goes away. Oh, and if you have pain that is not something doctors understand, the gaslighting, the the, the being told basically that it's not real, like, oh my God, it, it is, it is a whole mental thing, like, just traumatic. Yeah. And also with Colin, like, there's that existential dread of, like, what happened to Fallen Deer was being crippled through his hands. And what Colin is experiencing is pain in his hands. So he has to keep reminding himself, you're not losing your ability to play music. You're not losing your ability to play music. You're not. But like, it feels like you are. And there's, there's just this extra level of like, your musicianship is feels like it's being threatened. But it's not, we hope. And you can mentally lose your ability to do things. Oh, yeah. And he's losing a lot at this point. I'm like, is he going to come out of this incapable of playing mentally? And like, are we going to break over that? Like, because his world yeah. is shrinking. Like his neurology is is crunching down. I was just listening to John Green's really interesting essay on the yips and what happens to oh, athletes. Gosh. And I the think yips. also performers, because I've definitely experienced the yips as a singer 
But what happens to, you know, people in these high stress situations when they first experience the yips and like what that does to them? Yeah, I mean, it, it. we know so little about the brain and how the brain works. And it, there's nothing to say that like just because Colin is not enduring trauma to his hands, right? And this is what I would be thinking about <laughs> because my brain likes to really make things helpful is that I would be like, okay, yeah, you're not getting physically hurt, but that doesn't mean that mentally you'll be the same or able to do the things that you were once able to do. But that's not particularly helpful in this situation. So I'm glad his brain isn't going there. <laughs> that we know of. That we know of, right? He's in this box. Oh, like the, the reason why showers are so difficult, I think, for ADHD people sometimes is that you're just stuck in the box of your thoughts. I mean, I do have a shower speaker. So that I, way do. I won't. I be. do too. <laughs> I do. Oh God! Too. I need to charge mine. Remind me. <laughs> charge yeah. shower speaker. Mine ran. My shower speaker ran out of batteries during my shower yesterday, no. and I was stuck in the shower for like five minutes without my podcast. No. This is the worst thing this, that has ever I happened to a that. human. She's never quiet. She never shuts up. But in the shower, she's the worst she's ever been. It, uh, yeah, showering is the worst because that's when the bad thoughts come. Water. The water makes the thoughts so excited. So, yes. Yeah. It it, it nourishes the thoughts. Yes. So, so, yeah. Poor Colin. Yeah. So, I feel like being stuck in a box with my thoughts would be worst case scenario. Worst mm-hmm. case scenario. Terrible. He's starting to crave color also because he's in this white box. That I thought was an interesting detail. Yeah, like he's looking forward to seeing Farian's, like just like his eyes, his eyelashes, his tan skin, his lips. And like he recognizes that as sick and dangerous. So he tries to like go back into his memories, but like the memories aren't real. Colin would be triggered by millennial beige and gray. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Which is the correct response. (laughs) Who isn't? (laughs) It's a bad call. (laughs) And so they stop asking him where the capital is. They're asking him, what is the name of the girl with the short blonde hair? And he knows that that's the capital, but he can't remember her name or his or much of anything. This is the thing about torturing people is you don't actually, I think, get accurate information like there's still no way to ensure the information that you get is accurate because after a certain point they're going to tell you whatever or they're going to be in such a state of like mental and physical anguish that like they're not going to tell you anything useful because it might not even be true no no torture is useless and dumb and should stop at this point is is he useful to them he's not even useful to them no but villains, for some reason, seem to like torturing heroes. It seems to, like, help them work through some shit. So, like, they always do it. But, yeah, it's it's it never helps. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, I think it's not even about getting information. It's about power over people. There are just certain things that people do where I go, it's not about the thing itself. It's about the power over somebody else, right? So... Yeah, I feel like to a certain extent, torture is just like a display of what you can do. Because, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, it's like, I mean, we know at this point, it's not necessarily an inherently useful tactic. So, uh, yeah, I just feel like at this point, they're just doing it to be assholes. And and because now he hasn't answered their questions, how dare he, right? There's now that vindictive, like, 
It's not about the information. It's about the fact that you wouldn't give us information, you asshole. They have to break him. Well, we have this idea in this society that, like, if you can withstand torture, you're morally, like, better than everyone. Right, which is like, okay, Spanish Inquisition, calm your tits. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, (laughs) all right, (laughs) let's relax. (laughs) It's like, can you withstand torture? Then you're morally good. And I go, well, I don't know. I, I I refer you all to the story of G. Gordon Liddy as told on Behind the Bastards. <laughs> that guy was part of Watergate and made his whole shtick to be, like, quote unquote, immune to pain. And he was the architect of Watergate. So, like, do with that what you will. <laughs> yeah, sometimes there's these, like, things where people are like, you know what a real man can do? A real man can withstand pain. And I go, well, is that always the best? Man, you could find though. <laughs> Is yeah. that bit of a false equivalency? Oh, I mean, I like that he's protecting his friends. Obviously, that's a morally good thing. But you know, protecting your friends can look like a lot of things. It could look like baking them cookies for their birthday when they're sad. Like, <laughs> I would love I some know. cookies, honestly. Well, I'm sure if Colin was given the choice between the pain steak and the baking section of their kitchen, he would probably go for the cookie route if they offered it. <laughs> well, I don't know. How complicated are these cookies? This <laughs> baking show looks really fucking stressful. I, I, this is true. This is true. <laughs> are they having to fail on camera in front of millions of people? <laughs> Questions. Allie's like, please, please direct me to the portrait. <laughs> About that paint stick. <laughs> well, I just I just can't help but recall the time when I put too much of something in cookies that it was just a sheet of cookie instead of individualized cookies. I don't know what I did. And I think it was too much baking soda. And so the whole that, thing that tasted possible. revolting. Oh. And then we had to throw them away. So I don't know. I don't know if I would rather endure cookies <laughs> than fail repeatedly on camera. In front of millions of people? I don't know. Does does seem like equivalent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or crack it open the psychology here today. <laughs> you know. Well, it's unfair to ask an anxious person with chronic illness that because it's like, listen, I'm used to pain and I hate failure and embarrassment. Yeah, pain I do so. pain is an old friend at this point. Right. Pain right. I've got my pain management tools down to like the breathing. I can breathe like a motherfucker through pain. You would never know. You would never know. I sometimes will like, I like breathe through it, but then I do want someone to know that I'm in pain so they can see how tough I am. Because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because at this point, I'm so good at compartmentalizing it that I'm like, well, they should know still that I am sick because sometimes I do need to tell them that I am sick. It's like the the pain, period pain TikTok people, you know, when they, have you ever seen them? No. What do they do? Oh, my God. They have a machine yeah, that simulates yeah, like really those. bad cramps. Yes. And some sometimes they'll hook up couples to them, like like a woman that has like PCOS or endo. So has like the really bad, like 10 cramps. And she'll just be standing there like, yeah, this is about how it is. And like by six you know, her boyfriend's like twitching and by nine he's like crumpled over, like rocking back and forth. And she's just like, no, nah, no, nah, I have to go to work like this all the time. Yeah, you get used to it after a while. It's like, yeah, you, you're just like, this is how my body works. So I better get comfy here in this in this world. But where my body hurts all the time, there's nothing anyone can really do about it. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, that it's a bad question to ask an anxious person with chronic illness, like you said. <laughs> yeah. 
That seems, yeah, that seems but, fair. But I get so messed up sometimes when like things hurt because sometimes I go, okay, but what if this is actually a real thing this time? And I am so used to everything hurting all the time that I just don't take it seriously because everything hurts all the time. And then I get into this anxious spiral there where I'm like, well, but then, you know, it goes away. So then I go, well, okay, that's my clue is it goes away. This time. This time. Dude, I was so (laughs) grateful. I had to have surgery for like PCOS and endo. And like, apparently my appendix was like fused with like endometriosis scarring and they took it out. And I was like, yes, because now I never have to worry that my appendix is bursting ever again. I can just ignore the cramps. That is a plus. Honestly, that is right. They took my appendix out and it was like so relieved. Like, do you know how much time of my life I have spent going, what if my appendix is actually bursting and I'm ignoring it right now? Because it's just. Because that happens. Wait, so this is the thing. I'm telling you right there. Like, I 100% get it because I was like, yes, this was a relief for me to lose that body part. So I don't have to worry anymore. Tragedy, but comedy. Exactly. You guys are learning all sorts of crazy stuff about us today and my lack of appendix and Ali's fear of cookies. No, it's a fear of failure on a public space. (laughs) But at this point, it's so inevitable that I just I go out there like when I do a panel or whatever, I go out there and I'm like, I'm going to fuck up something. So just to get comfy with it right now. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, be hilarious. I just go radical acceptance, radical acceptance. As amateur podcasters, we are constantly failing in public by definition, like... And it's fun. And it's fun. Speaking of failing in public, Colin does not fail. No. To withstand torture, so... Excellent job. He's good at it. He's good at torture. He gets an A in torture. Something (laughs) possible to... (laughs) A in withstanding torture. (laughs) Something normal to want and possible to achieve. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Captain America, I understood that reference. <laughs> here, Here is the thing. Here is the thing. If I were being tortured, this is how I am. If I were being tortured, I would ask them. I'd be like, am I being tortured the best? Like, am I? <laughs> a plus in being tortured. I would need them to tell me how tough I was. Can I have a, like, a Yelp review? <laughs> Honestly, no, y'all. He's getting like a D. He's getting a D. They're not happy. He is not breaking. He's getting an A plus in resisting torture, but in being a torture victim, he is not pleasing them. Their Yelp review is going to be very unsatisfactory. I seriously would be like, they would be like clamping the electrodes to my nipples. Didn't he already kill one of them? (laughs) (laughs) They'd be like clamping the electrodes to my nipples and I'd be like, okay, but am I, am I the best one? Like, am I your favorite? Am I your favorite person <laughs> your when you were tortured? <laughs> it's like the millennial kidnap videos on TikTok. Yes, very much so. It's the exact same. I, I identify with that so hard. I'm just like, yeah, that I, that would be me. I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, like, get a little mud on your on your seat. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. What is wrong with us as a generation? We're so fucked up. Okay, any final torture things before we we jump to part 26? Mm, torture's bad. Torture's bad. Yeah. No nuance there. Torture's Firm bad. Nuance there. Don't torture people. This podcast is against torture. And we're not afraid to admit it. And we're not afraid to admit it. Not in the slightest. That's a take that will age well. Uh, probably. Maybe. <laughs> One <laughs> Who of the knows few. what the world will be <laughs> in a few years. Uh, 
Lord. Okay, part 26 is when Tyke and Elamar and some other people catch up with them. And Kyla's like, I left a note. And everyone's like, she left a note. You hear that? They wandered off at 80% of the book. They split the party, but they left a note. And they, they agree with us that this is not the behavior that you should be doing. And now 81% of the book. <laughs> Granted, they wouldn't, like that kid said later, they wouldn't have let her go. So... What is she supposed to do? Well, maybe there's a good reason for that, child. Well, maybe at 14 or whatever, we know better than the adults in the room. It's true. 14-year-olds do know best. I was 14 once. I did know everything at that point, and it's just been downhill from there. They are the paramount of knowledge. They get it. They get how the world works. It's very true. Sarah slaps Ty, kind of backhands him. Saying, you walk a fine line here. Don't step over it again. And then, like, he he goes storming off. And they go up to the balcony, the the symbolic balcony, to quote-unquote wait for Tig to stop sulking. I don't know if we, as the power gender, should be slapping the gender with less power. I just, I feel like that's always a bad thing. Okay, well, she doesn't physically slap him, but she does verbally slap him. Well, that is much more socially acceptable to do. I thought I I had missed something. She was basically like, boy, you're getting uppity. And then then they belittle his hurt by calling it sulking. So I definitely was seeing that power dynamic of, like, being the lesser... Yeah. Yeah. It, it isn't actually great. I I mean, I I am. It's like, it's complicated. Because I don't think that, like, I think in this world of all worlds, you know, women should be allowed to, like, go off on their own without men's supervision. Right. But when you're the Pope, don't get mad that people don't want the Pope to wander off without bodyguards, okay? Like. Right. <laughs> this is the, this is the new world. You know, the Pope doesn't just get to, like, jet off and go on a picnic that's so sad it is what if the pope really wants to go on a picnic then he should build a private estate where he can have a picnic oh but that's so (laughs) lame that's so lame in comparison to like a real picnic but what if he built 10 in different city states that only he could go to i feel like this has probably happened i feel like there's something to be said for the novelty and the being, like, being invisible in a public space. There's something for that where you're like, I'm the main character, but no one knows that I'm the main character. New and news but me, that I am, you know, having my little coffee and baguette. I'm having my Carrie Bradshaw moment. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's really sad. But, okay. Well, while Tyg is quote-unquote sulking, whether that is a fair or not, we do some genealogy. Any thoughts about the, we do some, you know, this is just some of her spicy flavoring of how convoluted this world is again. This is a complicated, complicated family tree. Yeah, I I liked it as fleshing out the world, but I was also like, those are some nice details. I thought those were really nice words. They're put in a good order, you know? (laughs) They were put in a good order. Lots of fifth cousins. I will not be remembering any of it. 
But I am happy for you, though. Or sorry it happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then and then thinking about genealogy spins us into Kylette thinking about the trauma of her own birth and her, like, angst with her mom and the whole, like, she didn't even look at me before she died of the sads. And, like, that part was sad. Yeah. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Here's my thing. We intellectually we understand that it's because she was dying and didn't necessarily want to look at the child that she wasn't going to be around to raise all of that i understand but it's rough to have to watch that you know what i mean that's that's a rough thing and i mean generally speaking you don't remember that and i'm a yeah and i'm a little like gornal dust what the fuck why are we are i feel like he's firewall yeah. this shit can we can we keep that password protected to yourself like, we don't need to unload this trauma on an already very traumatized child like i don't know coronal death is like against people having memories unless they're traumatic and then yeah and yeah. he's like okay but this one you get to see this one you get to have i don't know about that i don't know about that guy i still don't know about him i am gonna Drop the t-shirt. I made our first t-shirt, the most niche t-shirt that has ever existed. And I will be dropping it in the uh, discord. You can get an, I attended the roasting of Gornal Des, And all I got was, wait, did I get anything? Also, what is my name? I can't remember. Ah! T-shirt. <laughs> so the most niche t-shirt that has ever existed. I'm we have. Happy. We have them in black and white, so I will I will post those in there. Speaking of Gornal Dess and his refusal to let people remember. I love that. So, yes, he, he gives her this traumatic memory. Before we go into that, though, we go back to the ethics again. And Kylette sort of gets a little bit bossy. She's like, you're going to kill who I tell you to kill. And Umar's like, uh, no, we're not. Who are you, Malarisi? Relax. Yeah, they do draw a line between killing with weapons and killing with magic, which, what do you guys think about that? Do you think that's a real, legit thing? No. (laughs) I kind of do, because anyone can get a knife. Okay, here's the thing. I guess it's like, okay, when people say they're hunting, and they're hunting with a bow and arrow versus a machine gun... That's very different types of hunting. It's like one is fair and one is not, right? Well, but what if also on top of that, you're either born with a machine gun or not, and you can't choose? You've got machine guns for hands. I mean, basically. So, like, that's the situation. I think to me, that's the difference. Anyone can learn to use a knife, but not everyone can learn to use magic. Okay. I mean, I guess that's fair. But uh, isn't she talking about attacking other people using magic i mean yes and for me i do feel like that's where i start to go okay so we're not gonna kill the malarisi with magic either they're on the same playing field y'all yeah yeah i go go, listen i'm all for machine guns for hands not using the machine guns against people with knives for hands because that's more fair but i am not in favor of people going we can't use the machine guns for hands against the machine guns for hands. That's silliness. Yeah, they're they're laying themselves down for complete annihilation over a principle 
when the only reason that they're getting annihilated is the do ex machina that makes that principle even relevant. Like it's- You heard it here first. Principles are stupid. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> that's but, what I'm saying. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's the thing. When you introduce magic into a system or any technology sufficiently separated from the current technology such that it looks like magic, right? Like, you got to... Apples with apples, fire with fire, right? Like, there has to be some scale. And I don't think they have a complete rule against it because some of them do use magic against magic. They've done this before, but there's definitely a, an ethical thing about not using it to kill or like that. A lot of them, I think, you know, maybe other than the warriors really feel strongly against it. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like this is one of those nuancy places where I start to feel like if you're going to let these people do damage, because you're not willing to stop them, even though you're one of the rare people born with the power to do so, at what point is the damage they do your responsibility? Because you've let them continue to rampage when you have the power to stop them. Right. But the other side of this is something that Colin illustrated for us, which is that nobody has the right to tell you who to kill, except for you. And what Kylette's saying is, you will kill who I say. And like, Colin deciding that that is a decision that needs to be his is how he joined the rising. So like that's one of the the bumpers on where this nuance zone like exists. I agree with that. I think no one should get to tell you. I feel like yeah, here's here's the thing. I think that there is definitely a world in which we should be told who we can't kill. That's fine. Sure, sure. <laughs> but once we start saying you have to take this person's life, which is like going to give you tremendous trauma for the rest of your life, like now mm, we're at a point where this is a problem. Yeah, I think that that is that is a, you know, and I do love that that Colin's choice was the value, you know, who I'm willing to kill for and that no one has the right to tell him that. But I also think the who I'm willing to kill for thing ties back into what I said, which is at some point, it's not about the fact that you're killing. It's about, you know, who you're protecting by doing it. Right, right. And if you're protecting non-magic users from magic users, that is incredibly righteous because they don't have the machine gun hands to defend themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and the Malarisi are not going to be shy about using the machine gun hands. That's the thing. No. And so it's like they so have we can't not. be shy about using the machine gun hands to protect the knives for hands against the machine gun hands who aren't going to be shy about using the machine gun hands. It's machine guns all the way down. <laughs> yes. And this is I know that this is one of those those classic nuance things where you always have to say at what point when I'm using their weapons do I become them? And I think that's that's like there has to be room for the reason you're doing it and who you're doing it against to matter. Right. There isn't a one size fits all answer. And anyone who says so is lying to you and probably wants your money. It's almost it's almost as if nuance exists (laughs) and is spicy hot. I'll be sitting here on this nuancy throne for my entire existence. Just going team nuance. All like. Just waving a tiny little flag. Yeah. And speaking of hot and cold, then Kylette's like, I'm cold. And she has a really nice hug from Tig, And it's really sweet before everything goes to fucking hell. 
Okay, the minute he hugged her, I was like, he's fucked. I know, <laughs> right? I'm like, don't do Dead. it. No. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he got, he got tagged out. Oh. Uh, she runs off to the room that, like, her parents lived in. Before we do that, I do want to, like, call out one thing, which is that Gorsha is, like, Kylet thinks that she was conceived in lust, but not love. And Gorsha says, on the last day of the year, I knew when it happened. Okay. And she's like, oh, did the magic shake inside you? Did the stars tremble in the skies? And he's like, nothing so trite. Very simply, my dear, their door was locked and warded all day. <laughs> and so basically, this is, this is, <laughs> Ali's dying over there. I, I like the line, they made love with the last of their love and they made you. That, I like that line. It is a romantic line, but from Gorsha <laughs> to Kyla, I'm just like, sir, contain yourself. Well, he did kiss her. That makes it all much more awkward. <laughs> ah! Oh, God. I think we've lost Allie. Do we need to call 911? Allie. I was just about to say, I was just about, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was just about to say, you know what makes this all fucking worse? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't ever, I don't care who you are. Not one fucking person wants to hear any details about how they were made. Not one fucking person. I, like, there is not a person. I just don't believe. Didn't I say that I did this to my, you did, my nibbling you did. here a couple weeks ago? Yeah. I'm a bad aunt. Uh, I just, I'm like, I don't, I don't really, I mean, as someone with divorced parents, it wasn't I don't even this give sweet. a shit whether they loved each other or no. I'm here. Great. Awesome. What a great time we sh we're hopefully having. But like, he, all he had to say was, no, I think they, I think they loved each other. You know, or, or all he has to say is that one line about like, just trust me. I know this. Just trust me. <laughs> they loved each other at the time. That's all you have to say. Right? I, I'm not going to go into specifics. I'm not going to go into details because no one needs that. But at the time that you were born, like you were created, there was love involved. Right? That's all you have to say. That you all, you just say that end beautiful sentiment. You do not need to say any fucking thing else. And then what makes it worse is like, just imagine, just imagine. Okay. Like you go with your friends to a cabin for New Year's Eve. And you're like, and they get a little too toasty and you know, stuff's going down. And for some reason, you have the knowledge of how someone was made. First of all, he doesn't really explain how he knows this. And I'm just like, creepy. What were you watching? Like, how, how is this going on? But second, they had the do not disturb sign up. That's the only thing the sign means. <laughs> well, this is the last, this is the last time he sees her. He was their third. Like what? <laughs> no. Okay. Allie, Allie, he, this is the only time the two of them have been around each other in the period that w where conception would have been possible. Sure, I, so I do think it's fair. I don't think he had to have been watching. Well, no, 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 no. I, I, and listen, like, once he clarified, it made it a little better. But at first I was like, ah, how do you know that? And then, because he, he just goes, no, trust me. Like, and then I go, wait, 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 wait. Why do you know? But then also imagine this. Imagine. I just imagine. Just just imagine for a moment that you're like telling this gal you macked on about how she was conceived. Just 
imagine. Okay, see, that's the part where I've always loved this line, but I've never connected it to the, yeah. Okay, everybody, go gently yeah. with me. I'm new to remembering the gorgeous suck his tongue in her mouth. I mean, ghostly tongue. No, 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 no. His R.I.P. Breeze. I just childhood. know if you're sorry. I just I, this is my line. I guess I. You know, I'm like, listen, love knows no age, right? I get, I get it. Like things happen, and it's not always going to be creepy. But if you can tell a woman the circumstances by which she was conceived, I just feel like there's the line. There it is. We found it. Yeah. 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 Keep your tongue out of that Keep mouth. Keep your tongue out of her mouth. Yeah. I just. Mm, yep. So. Mm -hmm. Yep. Anyway, the roasting of Gornel Death shirt is on sale on our sizzle. I'm sorry, Brie. I know you oh. love him, but. <laughs> I do. No, I just love that line. It is a good line. I love the line, they made love with the last of their love, and they made you. I think that's a nice line. That's tragically beautiful. But I understand that the context has destroyed it somewhat. <laughs> I, just, I just don't know if we need the details of how her mom got cream pied by her dad. I just don't <laughs> feel like... <laughs> Holly's going to give me a coffee fit. <laughs> Sorry. I just... Maybe it's just me, but as little as I know about the circumstances of me being created, the more I can, like, go, I popped out of the ground. The more I can do that, the happier I am. You know? <laughs> let's let's just, like, pull back from the weirdness of all. Do you still think that he was long conning her? Or do you think he loved her? Avery? Gornel Des thinks Avery loved her. Do you still think he was long conning her, or do you think he loved her? I'm checking in. I'm doing a check-in. Can it be both? It can be both. I mean, people are complicated and messy. People are complicated and messy. Yeah, I do feel like we've gotten a lot more justification for him being a lone piece of flotsam out in the world trying to attach to whatever he can and like legitimately falling in love rather than being like always part of a grand conspiracy. Because I don't think what we know now about the circumstances of his origins I don't feel like he was really the Malarisi's first choice of weapon either. So that does make me think that his entire life trajectory was more short-term planning. And like the, the ombre thing just kind of happened. And he's like, yeah, sure. This is, this is what I'm doing. But like, I feel like it's kind of maybe a little, you know, Aladdin marrying Jasmine of like, I need something to do with my life. Cause I'm just adrift and have no roots. And so marrying this powerful woman and becoming a powerful person, like, sure, why not? Which maybe makes his love of her a little long conny, but not the long con that I was imagining earlier. So, yeah, my opinions have evolved, but there's still a bit of why not both. See, but I feel like the Malarisi are very, like, do this very specific thing. That's kind of their thing is the long con, the, like, you know, creating specific generations of people and i feel like he was mallory C before he met her yeah that's a question which is what's kind of yeah. sticking for me because i that why else would he leave the mage didn't they say that he left because they would never let him advance past journeyman 
They would they wouldn't let him until he was like nineteen, and then it was. So I think that the I've always imagined it to be sort of like, okay, you're nineteen, you finally have enough control, go sit with the twelfth year olds, and we'll like let you do school now. And he was like, ah, uh, pass. How about I just go do an on the road apprenticeship or something? Yeah. So I feel like that must have been the moment where he became Malarisi's sometime in that yeah, area. Yeah. So I'm like, so if. That's true. Then he's already then he's already Malarisi by the time he met her, which their whole thing is the long con. Yeah. So I go, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Just because something is part of the long con doesn't mean real feelings don't develop. It's so it's like I don't doubt that he loved her. I just think he loved himself and his cause more. Yeah, that's that's maybe where I'm coming down is he didn't not love her for sure. <laughs> There's a line here. He wanted her to come with him. She wanted him to stay. I mean, it's possible he thought he was going to have his cake and eat it, too. Right. Like, take her with him and then just destroy Ombre behind her, you know? And that is so silly. (laughs) Respectful. Only, like, listen, that is some, like, some grade A silliness that's just occurred. Because I, I just, I'm married Right. I love my husband more than anything, but never. And I'm, I do not doubt that he loves me the same, but never in my loving him would I ever in my brain think he loves me so much that if I set his house on fire with his family inside, he'd be cool with it and just come <laughs> with me and we'd vibe. Right. Yeah. 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 Most marriages have that line. It's just implicit. Yeah. You go like, listen, I would, I would fight a bear for my husband and he would do the same for me. Like we joke all the time about how, like, if there was something we need, like, like someone pointed something at us or whatever that we'd like confuse them by continuously jumping in front of each other. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But no, never in my wildest dreams would I feel that that would still be something he'd be cool with. And so to me, Aubrey is a silly, silly man that he would think that that would be a thing that she would be just fine with. Yeah. 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 That's, that's so silly. (laughs) So bizarre. Well, let's put a pin in that until further evidence comes to claim us and get to the sad hug. He comes to apologize, Tig. There's a sad hug. You know, warmth, but borrowed. Not really her own to claim. We find out they're going to be sleeping downstairs because they found lots of like fancy rugs they're going to sleep on, which sounds really nice. Yeah, fancy rugs are plush. Yeah. So he heads down the stairs first and they have these like spiral stairs, which are inspired by real ones. I can't remember where they are. For some reason, I think Italy, but I may be making that up. I'm going to go look later. But this double spiral stairs that is designed so that if you're walking down one, you can't see anyone on the other side. And I feel like I've been in these stairs that these are. That's why I think Italy. Like I, I have this very strong memory that I know this. But I could be hallucinating it right now. It's been a long week. Um, but so that's what happens. Um, she goes down into the spiral stairs and they hear the fifth lord on the other staircase. I can't help but notice how much fifth lord sounds like Sith Lord. Right. <laughs> it does sound like Sith Lord. So he's down there and they can hear him talking. He's got his son. Which is, by the way, uh, Red Flag Tudor's nephew, Ben yep. Glennon. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Like so oh, much. Oh, 
Ew. Yes. This is Red Flag Tudor's brother, the Fifth Lord. Well, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Red Flag family. Your red flag family. But he has a lot of disdain for Glennon, considering that his brother was kind of, like, interested in her in a horrible, creepy way. I don't think he ever told his brother he wanted to bang his student. I think that was a secret. <laughs> yeah, I, I, never, I never got the idea that, like, seducing Glennon was, like, on purpose or a thing that was supposed to happen. I always sort of got the idea that she fell in love with him, and he was maybe not resisting as hard as he should, and that's legitimately why he was murdered. Because Anais was going to be like, uh, no one gave you permission, she's supposed to bang my son. And maybe that's why he hates her so much. It could be. Interesting. That, oh, I never connected that, but you're right, he... He could be her. His brother could have been murdered because he was getting too friendly with getting Glennon. Too friendly, mm-hmm. mm. standing in the way of darling Garen. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is making sense. This is making sense. Okay, so then we have his son Hava. I'm calling him Hava because it's spelled the exact same way as Hava and Fiddler on the Roof. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Totally. So I couldn't not call him Hava because I was just like, yeah. So is this kid going to run away with a Russian soldier? Is it a Russian soldier or something? I don't remember, honestly. I know that the boy was not Jewish and that's where Tevye drew the line. Yes. Because he kept being okay with like the increasingly potentially objectionable people that his daughters were ending up with. Right. First it was a poor tailor and then it was a revolutionary who got arrested, and then, like, the last one was Hava, and I forget. It's a model, and then I do not know the the, plot at all. I was in it once, and so that's all I, that's why I know. But, like, so then he wasn't Jewish, though, and that's where he was like, no, and then at the very end of the play, they tell her to write to them anyway. And then it's like Uh a moment of acceptance, and everyone's happy. So, yeah, so I couldn't, I could not separate this boy from... That's works. fine. So that's, that's my headcanon of what happens to him after this, is he falls in love with a non-tiered <laughs> girl, and, you know, there's a lot of, of hullabaloo about it. I like that. We'll go with that. <laughs> so, yeah, what do you guys think about this whole, like, showdown? We basically, I'm gonna let you guys lead so I don't lose my voice before the end of the podcast. So, basically... Tyg and Kylet listen to Hava and his dad, like, discussing what's happening and that they're looking for everyone else. And they figure out, okay, no one else has been found yet. They think the castle is deserted, but they're also hunting for us. And everyone, like, they figure out who they are. Because basically they're doing the calculus of, like, we're in a shrinking pocket and we're going to get discovered. So Tyg throws himself in front of the train and declares himself capital and steps out. And at that moment, at post-hug, I went, oh, he's so absolutely fucked. They had the hug and then he declares himself as her in an effort to save her. It's like the, the oh. blinking neon signs, prepare yourself mm-hmm. for this man's demise. Mm-hmm. This guy is not long for this world. We keep losing Austins. The Austins yeah, are yeah, just yeah. going down. Uh, no wonder there were so many of them. Because they need them because uh, they just keep losing them. They just keep dying. 
That's what the Austins are good at. They're good at dying. Mm. Mm. Part 27, Sarah is creeping through the darkness because she knows this whole place, right? This is her childhood home. So she's creeping through the darkness, trying to get to where she can hear what's going on. And she hears Ty do his crazy thing. Describe for me your feelings as this all plays out. <sighs> um, it was kind of like watching a train crash. Yeah. Slow motion, inevitable destruction. <laughs> yeah, where I just, yeah, the slowest train crash. I I mean, like, just creepy, and you're just like, oh, but there's really nothing you can do. You just have to watch it go. Yeah, I mean, the Fifth Lord was silly evil. Like, he just, he goes, I'm going to throw a knife at this girl, but then it's not just a knife. It's a corrupted knife. And this is, again, why I'm like, do we see why we can't just continue to bring knives to a gunfight? It's a magic corrupted knife that would go through any protective magic. Right. Because Kylette's like, you didn't need to do that. I would have been fine. And then he, and then we find out no, she wouldn't have been. So he didn't save her life for no reason. Yeah, he saved her life, like, for serious. Because if it had hit her, you know, she would be dead. It's a, it's a cursed knife that corrupts you. And you can't, like, even... The only person who could pull it out or, like, stop it is... The person who did it. The Fifth Lord. Could we not have taken his hand and just kind of, like... I'm guessing it had to be using magic oh, or something. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, he... Because I was thinking... Do we want to try just, like, maneuvering his hand? and wrap Yeah, I don't think it's, like, a thumbprint lock on a gun. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just, I just was kind of trying to, no one had, no one had thought of the, the solution, so I just was like, maybe this is a dumb idea, but maybe we just. I think it's because it's a book written in the 90s before biometric weapons were, like, all the rage as a gimmick. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't super common. So, yeah, I, I, the, the Fifth Lord was such a comic book villain, he accelerated his own death just to spite them all. I was just like, you are like, the most two dimensional piece of shit villain. Just but also mustache twirling on the way out. Literally like whipping his guts like butter while laughing at them. Wait, whipping. Like, <laughs> that was a turn of phrase. I mean, that just got uttered. <laughs> he was. Or what, what, twirling them like spaghetti. I mean, like, he was just twisting that knife. He was doing a little, a little, a little jazz routine with his, he was doing a little jazz routine with his colon out there. Like, oh my God. Trying to, trying to murder himself while laughing. So, I mean, if you're going to go out, I guess, honestly, it's pretty legendary. I mean, I was going to say, I was going to say, I mean... What a legend at the same I, it time. It is an iconic yeah. way to go out. I mean, I gotta say. It, it is. It is dramatic. If you think you're the main character, you think you're pretty special here. Yes. Oh, before he dies, he does send his son back through the ladder. Yes. To yes. wait for him, um, which will be important in the next part. But then, yeah, basically throws the knife, murders himself, like literally lying against the wall, turning the knife in his guts, saying, killed him dead, snippity snip. Like, few fries short of a Happy Meal, that one. Ew. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Snippity snip. I, I know. I was like, here's the thing. Here's the, the indignity of him because him killing himself faster to make it so that Tag dies, kind of a badass move, right? Objectively. I mean, not not great, yeah, but it is. objectively kind of badass. But then he, he had to make it cringe. Yeah. And I'm like, that's insult on injury. <laughs> Once again, what it's insult on injury. I'm like, at least be cool. Snippity snip is objectively not a cool thing. That is like a Midwestern dad <laughs> thing to say. That is a not cool <laughs> way to go out. Very unchill. If if his son had still been there, he would have turned to his dad and been like, dad, don't be so embarrassing. Oh, my God. Right. Totally. He's like, son, go upstairs. I need to tell the worst joke. and I can't have you here. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really, it's going to embarrass you. You're going to be embarrassed by me right now. Oh, yeah. It gave me, it gave me the ick. <laughs> Snippity snip gave me the ick. So after he dies, we go through the options. Can you cut the blade out? No. Can you cut his leg off? No. Can you do anything? No. So it basically becomes, can you kill me faster because this hurts? And that's the first thing Elmar says yes to. Poor Kylette. Sarah won't let her go without telling him. And this, like, must be, this is, like, maybe the most heartbreaking part yet. Because, you know, Sarah, Sarah learned too late that she didn't say it to Colin, so. And, you know, Kyla doesn't actually say that she loves. Yeah, she cries about it later. She goes, I didn't end up telling him. Yeah, she doesn't say it. She doesn't say it. But he knows. Well, yeah, yeah. Of course he does. And he, he says to her. Fi- somebody else will have to do it from now on do it being look after her and then he says find him kaisha love him even more than you loved me <gasps> and she's like <laughs> or her i'm just saying or them and love them yes yeah, so that that breaks her breaks everybody Can I ask a question really quickly yes so is this implying that they were in love or that it was just a sibling i think this is implying that he knew he knew that she loved him like in a romantic way i always got the impression that he knew that she had a crush but like he was a responsible big brother and wasn't like i mean he wasn't weird yeah he was never weird to her in any way that i saw which, I mean, I know the bar for the man in this book is in hell, but that is decent. Yeah, no, I, I definitely got that impression, too, that, like, he acknowledged it without returning it. He cared for her in a different way. Yeah, he loved her and he didn't want to hurt her in a rejection way. And I think that this is the sort of thing where he knows he's going out, there's nothing else to do. And I mean, this is what he says. He doesn't say, find someone who will love you as much as I love you. Exactly. Or like I love you. Yeah. He says, love him even more than you loved me. Which I think in, it, it almost has this subtext of, this is a childhood crush. Find your, find your true love. Yeah. You think that this is real love, but like, go find someone that escalates this sensation for you. Because that's, that's where you need yeah. to go. That is what I always thought. I always thought that he dealt with her really well for some, because it's, it's a weird situation. They're not siblings, but, but to him, you know, he's basically helped raise her in a way. So like it, it would be weird. 
I like I like how he handles this, even though I'm very sad. And she's brokenhearted. And that's it. He orders her to go away so she won't be there. She realizes she didn't tell him. Kylette breaks. And Sarah just hopes that Colin's still alive. So that she can tell him because there's still a chance for her. Ah! Uh, she feels selfish because she still hopes that he's still alive. I mean, I don't know if that's selfish to hope someone's still alive. But I get the sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Right now, Kyla's broken and she is thinking about something other than that. So I get the thing. But R.I.P. Tig. You were a good one. We liked you. You you didn't do weird shit for the most part, so A plus. Melanie Ron's murder spree continues. She has got so many smoothies. <laughs> Her murder punch cards are stacked up. I know. Okay, final section. I'm honestly not sure why I didn't like leave that on that. Sarah, sad cliffhanger. I must have had a reason. So I guess we'll see. Our final, our final section is just, uh, Glennon finding out about poor Fifth Lord's son. Um, and they're trying to get him to talk and tell what happened. And Anias doesn't have much faith that Tig is mageborn or the capital. So anything about this part to jump out to you guys? Um, it's hours later. That was something that stuck out to me was that the kid like hid for hours. So Glennon and co are getting this news update hours after the fact. Everyone's already like the bodies are cool. People have gone to ground like so they've lost a jump that on this. Kid. Yeah, because this poor kid is the one trying to bring all the info through. Yeah, that poor kid. I was really worried that they were going to hurt this kid for some reason. I was kill the messenger kind of thing. I was nervous. I mean, Anais was kind of acting. Farian's like, we're pleased that you're safe. And she's like, uh-uh, no one's pleased. Yeah, I, that's why I kept being like, oh, God, you know, because I was worried. I was just kind of worried that, yeah, him being a witness to all of this could be considered a loose end in some way. And so I was worried about that, even though I was like, okay, I don't think they're going to kill him because I don't know what reason that would they would have but i was also kind of like but i don't really trust either of them and then the same thing when glennon had him and she was like go to sleep i was like oh no uh-huh uh-huh yeah it was it was weird he doesn't have much to say that that they find useful um and is like what did any of this accomplish except for warn the new capital so thanks a lot you dumbasses which fair enough I mean, they made the new capital very sad, but otherwise. <laughs> and so Glennon does get one thing out of him that he kind of forgot, which is that he caught sight of Sarah. Two blonde girls. And this is this is where the funny line is, where he didn't tell his mother because she wouldn't have let him go. <laughs> Legendary teenage logic. And she has a good night's sleep and goes to confront Colin, which I enjoyed this encounter. This was entertaining to me. She is so on top of everything. She's pretending this kid is her kid. She thinks she's going to get rid of Anias. And Colin just 
is calling at her, and I love it. Yeah. He does not care. She's kind of like, not even low-key, just straight out sexually harassing him a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah. Scraping wow. him with her nails. That was uncomfy. It's calling him hot. That was uncomfy. She's 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 like thinking how handsome he is, touching him in real weird ways. Not like, a fan. Not a fan, Glennon. Not liking. Do not. Yeah. Do not like. Gross, 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 gross. Also, we get the line that his silence was unheard of in the lore of the pain stake. Like... The fact that he only makes noises of pain and never gives up any words, period, is, like, unheard of. I'm like, that's our Colin. That's our fucking Colin. A in torture, something that is normal to want and possible to achieve. Absolutely. So she keeps talking to him until he. she finally says... That she's going to take him to the octagon court. And then she says, I'm sure Sarah will be glad to see you again. And that's where she gets, he spits in her face. Yeah. Don't mention my girlfriend whose name I forgot. That is so America coded. (laughs) Yes. Like, America's whole thing is, can you withstand torture when your country needs you? Spit in the face of your torturer. That is so America Yep. And she cannot handle it. She loses her shit. For the first time in her life, apparently. Meaning Colin is now done too unique in the lore of this world's thing. An eagle screams. Resisted the pain stake. <laughs> and um, made Glennon lose her shit. So she does like a super torture. Rude. And he passes out. Which just means that there's, like, no more use from him. And she just wants to wake him up and super torture him again because he, she's so upset that she he made her lose control. Until she remembers the once in future uh, acorn squash, whatever we've got now. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I've scaled him up to at this point. She keeps forgetting about that baby. <laughs> she's like... Are you worried about the super torture I just did? And then she's like, no, I think he's smiling. I think he's into super torture. No, I've, I've got a sadistic baby. This is fine. We're really, we're really going to anthropomorphize that baby. We're, we're going to yeah. anthropomorphize that, that clump of cells real hard right now. She had the oddest impression that he was smiling in his sleep. I'm like, he loves super torture just like you, girl. Is he big enough to have a mouth? He's trying to mitosis or meiosis, whichever one it is, as best he can. And this woman won't stop blasting radiation straight into her uterus. I just... He's going to come out with two heads or something. True. Like, truly, this baby. She's like, I'm training my baby to be a sadist in the womb. Very clearly. So, so she leaves, kills all the spells and, uh, and protections and replaces them with her own. And her dad meets her on the way out. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? And she's like, you know, I'm taking over here. Me and mommy's little sadist are staging a coup. Yes. And I feel like this is like definitely a scene where it really seems like he explains this whole point. His whole point in this big betrayal was like he made a bargain. He and Glennon were going to be safe and powerful. Glennon was going to get a great position. And he still believes that everybody is going to, like, follow through on this. 
Nobody would ever betray him. He made a bargain. And he, like, murdered everybody. The lepers won't eat my face. Like, that's literally yes. his thing. Is He's having the moment of, like, but I... I voted for the leopards eating fa- people's faces party so they won't eat my face. And she's like, bitch, I have learned how to eat people's faces from the biggest leopard. Like, get with the program. She's going to eat your face, bro. You're the next face on the list. Literally. Literally. Straight out, she says, she sees my son as hers and not mine. Why do you think she had my daughter killed? She just wants to replace Garen with a magical version. Glennon's like, yeah, she's going to take my kid and she's going to get rid of me. Uh, you think you're going to stop her? You know? And then she's not wrong. Glennon, like, drops the bomb that she's the first lord, which apparently Farian did not know. Whop, whop. Like, this whole time, he thought he was, like, at the heart of power and he didn't know that his big sponsor was secretly the fucking first lord. Which is kind of wild to me because she is the most obvious first lord ever like if i was gonna pick one person that we have met these entire books i would have picked her who would be the secret force yeah yeah i I was kind of amazed at the depth of his naivete um in this that glenn had to spell out for him i'm like he's not that dumb and then like no he is actually that ignorant of what's going on like really Aubrey. i was like this man has raised a city and yet but I think that's it. That's like the sunk cost. I think he's in a sunk cost place. Look at all the shit he did. He cannot believe it was for nothing at this point. He cannot believe he literally went and like killed all of his in-laws and his wife's family and everything. Lost his wife and his daughter, other daughter. And it was just for literally nothing. I think that he's delusional at this point. And like you pointed out, probably was delusional to start thinking this was ever going to go the way he wanted. Silliness. This man is silliness. But to his credit, he is now deferring to the younger generation who has a clearer idea of where to lead. We have a very, like, they're standing on the stairs passing each other as they have this conversation. Again, very allegorical. She goes from being below him to being above him and taking control and telling him what to do. And he, like, bows his head and says, what do you want me to do? Like, she's in charge now. I guess I guess we can give credit to... The family annihilator fascist. I guess we could give him a little credit. <laughs> yeah, so this is where we end with him saying, what do you want me to do, Glennon? What can I do? Can we change sides? That's the question. That's what I want. To do. <laughs> she says, we'll do it together. Oh, okay, okay. It does get a kind of bit creepy. She strokes his cheeks and frames his face with both hands in the typical romantic yeah, gesture yeah, yeah. that of a... Uh, and then says, we'll do it together as we've always done. And I'm like, okay, you guys, the vibe here is not working for me still. Yeah, this is not it. It's not just it. A, just a little. She's 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 infantilizing I don't know. her own father. Like, bleh. Yeah, there's something weird going on. And she thinks that Anais oh. wants her son to replace her his the son's father. It's very, the, this family does not know which generation belongs with who. That happens, though. That happens, though. I mean, like, there are definitely stories about in-laws basically being like, it's my second chance to raise a kid, essentially. They're my baby. Yeah, disapprove. Strong disapprove. Strong disapproval. Strong disapproval. 
Well, anything else from that section? Because this was a lot. We we have been on a ride today. That was a roller coaster. There was a lot that happened. Uh, highs, lows, good turns of phrase, terrible scenarios, interesting personal insights. Um, that was a good section. Details about about conceptions. <laughs> I remember now why I was. I picked this stopping point. So, oh, that that's promising. Yeah, that's ominous. Scary. That's that's the scariest thing you've ever said in your life. We're doing the twenty parts twenty nine through thirty nine, and that's ten parts or eleven parts. But they go pretty fast because we are finishing off the rising. Oh wow! So brace yourselves, my dears. Oh, Shit is going to pop I'm off. Stressing out. What is Glennon going to do now? The once in future pumpkin is going to have things to say. <laughs> this baby keeps growing. This once in future aubergine. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, I don't think I have anything else. I gotta get out of here before I completely lose my voice. Hopefully, it wasn't too rough for y'all. Um, but remember, we're reading the rest of the rising for next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to keep gabbing with us, our social media and contact details are in the episode description. Until next time, have a very nuanced day.